This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Today is the last Sunday where we celebrate as part of black history the amazing accomplishments of people of color since the beginning of time. Very often when we think of black history, it is common to reflect on what I call the big five. What I mean is by the big five, Dr. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, very often we think of the big five. But obviously there are many more individuals who have in their own way made significant contributions to our collective history. Names like Jackie Robinson, Paul Bogle, Mae Jemison, Ron McNair, Ron McBrown, etc. Names which may or may not be familiar to many of you, but nonetheless, people who have made significant contributions in advancing the cause of black freedom and liberation. When I think of black history, I tend to think of it in two dimensions. The first dimension is what I call the social justice dimension. This has to do with advancing the civil rights of blacks who have been disenfranchised, marginalized, or even underestimated. The social justice dimension lends itself to activism that ought to eventually lead to some kind of social reform that ends with equal rights and justice for all that's made explicit by the Constitution of the United States. The social justice dimension is what we observe when we see people like Dr. King and Jesse Jackson and Malcolm X and even today the Black Lives Matter movement when we see all of these people marching who may not all necessarily agree on the same methodology but they all agree that the social system as it currently stands today ought to be changed in a way that it provides greater opportunities for those of us who have been ignored in this society. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The second dimension that I consider when I think of black history is the social advancement dimension. Very different from the social justice dimension. The social advancement dimension finds its value in the contributions of people of color that work in areas like science and technology, medicine, and even sports. It is the area where you don't necessarily see these people in your face with that kind of activism, marching down the streets, but in a covert and silent way, they fight towards the elimination of social injustice. You see, as an example, many people celebrate renowned scientist Neil deGrasse Tyson. You might have heard of him. And he's, he's celebrated for his brilliance in talking about the cosmos and space, but he's not necessarily marching on the front lines shouting Black Lives Matter, but he's excelling in his own field of study. And by doing so, he debunks the idea that black people are not necessarily academically proficient when it comes to their intellect. Sports is also another great example with people like Pele and Usain Bolt and LeBron James who have used their platform to break down areas of business and industry that were otherwise unavailable to people of color. So as it relates to activism, 
Not everyone needs to be on the proverbial front lines, but even in whatever area you find yourself today, make no mistake about it, you are involved, you are involved in social justice or social activism in some way. You are an activist just by being black. You are an activist, whether you acknowledge it or not. And we all may not fight the same way. But believe me, we are all fighting in some way. Yes, sir. Yes. And so today I want to talk about someone who fought the social advancement dimension, the second dimension. He fought the first, but I want to focus on the second dimension. He fought against a system that he should never have had to fight against in the first place. You see, when people don't know who you are and to whom you belong, they have a tendency to underestimate your authority and your power. Before I introduce this person, I want us to look again with me at the 16th chapter in the book of Acts. The reading was from the 16th through the 39th verse, and I do want to read it again, just so that we are all kind of on the same page in the context of the story. It reads as thus. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul said, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now let me jump down to verse 38. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. In the context of black history, and with the backdrop of our biblical story, 
I want to talk about the first elected and consecrated bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, Bishop Richard Allen. Now, I've elected to talk about him in the context of our denomination, which is a part of the Methodist family, because there's a lot of history here that I think is important for all of us to know. The truth is, few black Christians know or even care to know the significance of a figure like Richard Allen and his departure from the St. George's Methodist Church, and AMEs have probably heard more about John Wesley than they have heard of Richard Allen. Well, well. This is why I want to spend some time today with not just a typical sermon, but one that is designed to give you a sense of history as we close out Black History Month. And it is my hope that you will not only see that Methodism served as a vital part of our survival, but also at a time where we were all mostly slaves, that it also helped to secure our survival as well. Furthermore, you will begin to see the parallels between Richard Allen and the Apostle Paul in a sermon that I've titled quite simply with this lengthy introduction, <laughs> Dungeons and Chains. Dungeons and Chains. Let us pray. Most gracious, heavenly, and eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are here now, today, because you made a way. You made a way, Father, where a people who felt like all hope was gone, with every lash of the whip, with every child and family that was destroyed and taken away. When it seemed, oh God, that you had turned completely away and forsaken the people. They still had hope. For through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were able to see that there would be a brighter day. And so, Father, today as I stand in this pulpit and to preach your word, remind your people, O oh God, of their history so that they can understand not just their history, but our tomorrow as well. Bless this time now. Bless this preaching now. Bless us all now, we pray. In Jesus' name. And the church all over the world, and the all here in the sanctuary, we say amen, 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 amen. and amen. Let me begin by giving you again a brief overview of the text that was just read, because it's a lengthy text, and I want you to kind of get it. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. It wasn't just Paul and Silas. But Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke were traveling. And when they got to this place called Philippi, there was a girl, a young girl, that had what we call a spirit of divination upon her, which allowed her to be able to tell the future. This girl would go around, and she would tell the future, and she would cause a lot of people, her masters, for she was a slave girl, to be very wealthy. She had her own psychic network. And all of these people would pay money to hear her tell them the future. And it made other people wealthy. So when Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke came to Philippi, because this girl had some kind of spiritual connection to a supernatural world, she knew who they were. 
And because she knew who they were, she started following them around. And everywhere they went, as they went up and down Jackson and Franklin, as they went down Fulton and Sanford Boulevard, everywhere that Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke went, this girl was following them around, shouting out who they were. These men have come to tell you about the living God. And all the people were seeing this, and Paul is a lot like me. I can only take so much from people. If I'm honest, I can only, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, I'm going to bless you as best as I can. But after a while, if you keep following me around, I'm going to get a little annoyed. Paul got annoyed. And when Paul got annoyed, Paul did what most people would do in this case, because he had the power and the authority to cast out demons. Paul looked at the girl and he said, demon be gone. Spirit, out. Without hesitation or even flinching, Paul got rid of the spirit of divination on this girl. And so what happens now is she could no longer work for the psychic network. And now all of her masters were upset because now they figured out all of their source of income is gone. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, in this black history, and something we all need to understand as people of color. You want to make some kind of change around the people who are oppressing you, hit them in their pockets. You stop going to places and spending your money in places where people don't appreciate you, they will quickly come to know who you are. And so we as a collective need to understand that we don't always all have to be involved in social justice, but we can be involved in social advancement with how and where we choose to bend our money. Am I talking to anyone yet? And so, and so these people now were all upset because not only were the masters of this girl no longer making money, but now the people don't know what to expect in the future. And so they brought Paul and Silas before the magistrates, before the courts. And they, the courts ruled to beat Paul and Silas and throw them into prison. And here we have these two ministers of the gospel, people of God, thrown into prison after being beaten. And when everything looks like it has fallen apart, you are in that place. Stay with me, church. When you are on your way to do the Lord's work and you find that you have ended up in a dungeon in prison, you have to question whether or not you were actually operating in God's word. Because the truth of the matter is every one of us believe, if not most of us, that when you are doing what God has asked you to do, then it should come with certain blessings. No, it doesn't. You are doing God's work is more likely that you're going to end up in dungeons and in chains. Serving God comes at a price. And so it is Paul and Silas are in prison, sitting there bleeding for doing God's work. But unlike us, Paul and Silas began singing and praying. They started singing one of those old Negro spirituals. Way down, Pharaoh. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, let, me, let me just, let me not, let me stay in my lane. <laughs> so, so, so they started singing. And the text tells us that the dungeons shook and their chains fell off. This is where we find the story, and of course, you can read it for yourself. But the main takeaway here was that Paul was in prison, persecuted by his own people, because they found out that he was what? A Roman citizen. 
So he was persecuted by his own people and being a rightful member of the society, the people did not know who he was. But God knew it and God protected him. And believe me when I tell you, God always looks out for his own. I don't know who need to hear that this morning, but God always looks out for his own. I've always maintained, I've always maintained that we should never join any organization without understanding fully what that organization is about and what they stand for. It is conventional wisdom that the history of the African Methodist Episcopal Church reflects a black liberationist narrative of African-American history. And while this may be true, Richard Allen, the founder of the AME Church, embodies for both African-Americans and African-Methodist Episcopals the quintessential model of a church-based activist. But though looking at Richard Allen's life from a black liberationist perspective is accurate, and a great way to interpret his life, we must understand him and the liberationist movement in the context of Methodism. Richard Allen, founder of the AME Church, believed in what John Wesley and the Methodists believe and all Methodists believe. And what do we believe in? We believe that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We all hold to that truth that if any man be in Christ... He is a new creation. Behold, all things have what? Passed away. And if I tell you, brothers and sisters, to a slave, that's some seriously good news. That all things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. And Richard Allen believed this in all of his heart. And so when he chose to go the Methodist route, he was actually saying to himself, listen, I believe in this same God. The same God that let the Egyptians release the Hebrew slaves is the same God that will take the Pharaoh in the United States and to let God's people go. And I believe with all of my heart that the very thing that Richard Allen did to the Methodist church is the very same thing that Martin Luther did to the Roman Catholic church during the Reformation. Study it. And you will see. So let's talk a little bit, a little bit about Methodism. Because I want you all to know why you're AMEs. Mm -hmm. Or better yet, why you should be AMEs. (laughs) In the 16th century, some Germans left Germany because of serious religious persecution. And they went to settle in Ireland. A hundred years later, There's a group from Ireland that came to the United States, specifically to New York City. As part of that group, two of the people, one of them was named Philip Embury. And he actually was a preacher, a Methodist preacher, and his cousin, a lady by the name of Barbara Heck. Some history. Now, Heck would go around to all of the Irish immigrants' homes in New York. And she would be sort of like helping them out. But one day she went into this house And they were playing cards. And she was mortified. She was mortified that they were playing cards. She threw all of the cards into the fire, went and got her her cousin and said, you need to start preaching the gospel to these Irish immigrants. (laughs) So he started in his home 
to preach the gospel. There were five people in his home in that first Methodist meeting. One of those persons in that meeting was a slave lady by the name of Betty. That's all we know of this lady. But what we take away from the story is that in the beginning of Methodism, black people were there. Right there when it first started. So, so when you hear people talk about, oh, we're African Methodists, but we're really part of the Methodist family, which was more of a white religion, understand, brothers and sisters, that we have and have always been there from the beginning. There is no history in this world that can ever be told where we were not there from the beginning. So Embry's house became too small because, you know, when you start telling black people good news, you know what happened, and especially they started selling food or providing it. The church grew. The church started to grow. And the church was growing so fast that Embury had to do what? They had to find another place. And so they took up a collection. You know how church people do. When we need to do something, we're going to take up a collection. Now what you need to know is that when they took up the collection, this is some serious Methodist history. When they took up the collection, they, 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 they bought a place that became known as the St. John Street Church. And in order to buy that place, history records that a lot of the funds came from slaves themselves. The slaves who believed that in Christ, we are a new creation. There is an opportunity here. There's a possibility here. They believed in the vision and they were part of the John Street Church. Now, out of John Street's church, if you check history, came all kinds of other churches. Um, the African Chapel, which eventually became the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church. All of that happened out of that church. But the church grew. Yeah. And it grew so fast that they then had to reach out to John Wesley and say, hey, John, something's going on down here in New York. These black folks, they really believe Jesus. And they are filling up this place like nobody's business. You need to send some itinerant preachers to help us. So they sent about, <laughs> by the time they sent about, there was about 600 Methodists in the colonies. And by 1776, the time of the American Revolution, you're getting some history, church. There was about 4,921. And by 1800, we had about 200 traveling ministers. One of those ministers was Richard Allen. So I'm trying to help you, church, understand that we've been there from the beginning. And Richard Allen was right there. And that's why I tell people, Richard Allen ain't just the founder of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Richard Allen is, blood is rooted. He is a founding father of Methodism in the United States. Let's keep it clear. Let's keep it real. This is Black History Month. So yes, he founded the African Methodist Episcopal Church out of protest. But he helped build the Methodist church. The fact that Jesus was a suffering savior was especially appropriate to a slave. When we hear the suffering of Christ, we hear our story and we must live to tell our story. It gave an identity to us as a people. Our oneness with Christ that went beyond and today still goes beyond denomination. Without the, without the African-American slave, Methodism would not have thrived the way that it did. 
But again, it's important to understand our history so that we understand why we are a part of this organization. But guess what? As you know it, despite how much the Methodist Church really loved the membership of these black folks, there were some things that the Methodist Church did that was completely out of order and inappropriate. Mm. And so when this happened, a lot of black folks who used to see how they would allow slave owners and they were complicit in allowing members of the church to buy and sell slaves. They were complicit in that. Then they, some other black folks says, no more. We can't be a part of this. And they broke off and formed what's called the Wesleyan Methodist Connection. If you go down into Brooklyn to Bridge Street, you'll notice that on Bridge Street's building, what does it say? A-M-W-E, right? The W is for Wesleyan and represented those blacks that pulled away from the Methodist family because they were not that great. But let's talk quickly about Richard Allen, and I get to my point. So the church began to flourish, and you need to know some history about Richard Allen because Richard Allen used to be a slave. And Richard Allen was a slave of a person by the name of, uh, uh, what was his name? His name escaped me, Benjamin Chu, which was in Philadelphia, and he was actually, believe it or not, he was actually the chief justice of Pennsylvania. And he owned Richard Allen, but he sold Richard Allen and Richard Allen's master bought Richard and his family and then ran into some hard times and had to sell his slaves. Couldn't afford them. Sold Richard's mother and sisters. But Richard Allen, in his writing, actually stated that his master was a good man. Was a good man. That's what he said about him. He was a good man. Yeah, he's mommy a servant, but you're a good man. At 17 years old, he found the Lord. And this is what Richard Allen said. At 17 years old, he wrote... I was awakened and brought to see myself poor and wretched and undone and without mercy of God. I must be lost. Shortly after I obtained mercy through the blood of Jesus Christ and was constrained to exhort my old companions to now seek the Lord. So what did Richard do? He found the Lord at 17, started spreading the gospel, and he was trying now to get as many of his brothers to come in. But over time, Richard didn't feel like he really knew the Lord. He didn't feel like his conversion was real. And so he wrote this. He says, I went with my head bowed down for many days. I was tempted to believe there was no mercy for me. Does that sound like you sometimes? Yeah. One night, I thought hell would be my portion. I cried unto him who delighted to hear the prayers of a poor sinner. Here it is. And all of a sudden, this is what Richard Allen wrote. All of a sudden, <laughs> my dungeons shook and my chains flew off. And glory to God, I cried. My soul was filled, I cried. Enough for me. The Savior died. After this, Richard Allen went and he, he, he started to even convert his own master who gave Richard the opportunity to say, listen, I'm convicted. You can now buy your own freedom, which he did and moved to, to the north, and we know the rest of the story. But the key thing I want you to see, and again, in the context of the, the text, I began by this talk by saying that God looks out for his own. And we know that there is nothing new under the sun, the S-O-N. The story of Richard Allen has its similarities to the experiences of Paul in that Philippian jail. 
You see, Paul was a citizen of Rome, and hence he was among his own. Richard Allen was a Christian of the Methodist faith, and he was among his own. And you all know the story of what happened in St. George's, right? When he was praying on his, on his knees with, with, with Absalom Jones and others, and then an overzealous sexton came and told him that you can't pray here. want to drag him off his knees and tell him to go up into the balcony. Allen said, what? Let, me finish, let us finish our prayers, and we will bother you no more. And he walked out of that church back in, that, in 1787. And of course, they went and they found their own little church. And we know today Mother Bethel, which stands at the corner of 6th and Lombard in Philadelphia, is where Mother Bethel sits. And brothers and sisters, if you've never been there, you need to go there because you need to know from whence you came. So Richard Allen was a Christian of the Methodist faith. And he was also, like Paul, among his own. Paul was thrown in prison. Richard Allen was a slave but was treated with disdain by his own Christian brotherhood. Paul was being overseen by the Philippian jailer who eventually became converted. Richard appealed to the conscience of his slave master who eventually released him. Paul's dungeons shook and his chains fell off. The dungeons of Richard Allen's heart shook and his chains fell off also. Paul was set free and Richard Allen was set free. Now, Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley is famous for the hymns he would write. And one of the greatest hymns that he has ever written, which, by the way, is an anthem of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, has these well-known lyrics. And listen carefully to the lyrics in the song, And Can It Be. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me? who caused his pain. For me, who him to death pursued, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke! The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Y'all need to listen to that song when you get a chance. Listen to it and feel the power and the spirit of the founder of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, Richard Allen. Richard Allen was born enslaved, but every one of us know that whether we acknowledge it or not, we are also being kept in our own dungeons of guilt and shame and being bound by the chains of sin. Yeah. But that did not change or limit Richard Allen and his ability to change the entire Methodist Church a people to whom he was a brother in the faith, yet who treated him with utter disdain and disrespect. He changed the church through social advancement, and you and I are the fruit of that work. This is not just the story of Richard Allen or the Apostle Paul, but also the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bishop Allen changed Methodism 
The Apostle Paul changed the church. But the Lord Jesus Christ changed the kingdoms of this world. And the Lord Jesus Christ changes you and me. This is what happens when you allow Jesus to shake or to cause your dungeons to shake and to break your chains. And when Jesus comes along, if you have a repentant heart, he will break every chain and set you free no matter what dungeon you may find yourself to be. Like many of you, when I got saved, my dungeons shook and my chains fell off. <laughs> my wife's a witness. <laughs> and this is the cry of a sinner who found forgiveness and grace in the loving care of a Savior named Jesus Christ, who always have and always will, hear me church, look out for his own. So, if you are among your own and you feel somehow rejected, here is my advice. To be like Paul and Silas, like Richard Allen, and again, like me in many ways, when I'm feeling a little downtrodden, pray and sing those great hymns of the church. Nothing can soothe your soul like some of the great hymns of the church. And you need to know that Methodists have always been known as what? A singing people. And while I appreciate the, the contemporary songs and the gospels, nothing does to me the thing like hymns do. So when you feel a little stuck, like you're in your dungeon, and you're shackled by your chains, <laughs> join noonday prayer with the missionaries and joy and pray, but then sing a few hymns, yeah. right? And watch God, watch God shake the foundations of your dungeons and let your chains fall off. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? As we celebrate and close out Black History Month, I hope that you at least appreciate a little bit of Methodist history and AME history. And now you can go forth and conquer the dungeons and the chains. May God richly, richly bless you, my beloved.